This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas, powered by U-Mobile. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C and welcome to The Breakfast Grill. On today's Breakfast Grill, we're in conversation with Chu Chong Kiat, Group Managing Director of FM Global Logistics Holdings Berhad, one of Malaysia's largest free and forwarding players in the region. Very good morning, Chong Kiat. How are you keeping? Uh, I'm fine. Thank you very much uh, for having me on the program. You know, for me, as, as someone new to this whole industry, the logistics business mm. is usually classified, right, as a high capex, low margin business. Are there different ways in which we can disrupt the business model? Because it's a very much traditional way of connecting uh, goods and services across the region, right? Correct. And and what you said about the industry is true, but uh, the industry is pretty fragmented. In other words, there are many players. Uh, when you say there are high capex, yeah, you're right. Because uh, if you are operating ships, you're operating uh, you know, aircrafts and trucks, that is very high capex. But because the, the industry is fragmented, it's sectionalized you know, into different segments. So we are one of those where I would say uh, we don't actually have that high a capex uh, because uh, we don't own the ships. We don't own the planes. Uh, in fact, shipping lines and airlines are deemed to be like our vendors. Yep. Uh, but more than vendors, like we have to build a solid relationship with them, you know, in order to facilitate our business. Uh, but saying that again, yes, on the domestic front, uh, we have our trucks and our warehouses. So that one you can de- uh, you can deem it as perhaps, you know, high capex, uh, but not as much as buying an aircraft or a ship. Like yeah, not as much as buying an aircraft <laughs> yeah. or a ship. Uh, but you're right, you know, your ground equipment assets are very heavy, about 125 over prime movers, 560 plus trailers, 90 plus trucks, right. right? How do you decide when to be capex intensive and when not to be? As you said, right, you work with relationships with the shippers, with the airlines, you know, at what point do All you right. decide, okay, I, I need to switch it over or transition over to a heavier capex model then? Perhaps uh, I can just uh, briefly just mentioned that our business is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, differentiated into two segments. Uh, One is obviously the international segment where we, you know, move by sea or move by air. Well, that one, I think we will probably remain uh, as kind of like a a forwarder that does not own the assets. In other words, we will continue to work with the shipping lines and airlines. Yeah, that would be our model, uh, you know, for very, very long term, I think, right? We will not get into that uh, portion of business of uh, running a ship or, or an athlete. However, on the domestic front, uh, we have actually uh, embarked on our so-called uh, asset-owning program because previously we were just, again, we were working with vendors, you know, trans- transport uh, vendors and even a warehouse we were renting. But there comes a time, I think, when uh, we deem it necessary, you know, in terms of delivery of our service, the efficiency. And obviously, you know, if you have your own facilities, you you can probably do a more dedicated service. So that's why we have uh, started to, you know, invest in a sense heavily in trucks uh, and in warehouses. But I think all of that was a gradual process. It wasn't like, hey, you know, today let's uh, invest in 100 trucks. No, it didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual process uh, when our business build up, when our customers' requirement uh, take off, then we, uh, you know, continue with our uh, investment, you know, with more trucks and more more warehouse space. So building a resilient domestic business, getting that ground game right, investing in yes. it, making it work, while then getting the partnerships to connect between the different markets internationally. That's really yes. what is the distinction, right? And so although you separated two both businesses, they're very much in 
interconnected. If the domestic relies on the international, the international does rely on the domestic. At what point then will you say, if I want global domination or even grow the business, I need to yes. move into the international business and get capex there as well? Yeah, I think you got it right. Uh, I think your understanding of the industry is very quick. Yes, you are right. It's interconnected. Uh, in other words, if uh, a customer you know who exports their goods, they will require domestic uh, support as well. In other words, from their factory, they need to transport their goods either by container or otherwise by trucks to the port and then we need to do the custom procedures and everything. Yeah, you, you are absolutely right. It, it is connected and it is a part and parcel of our overall strategy, you know, to do what we call a, be an end-to-end logistics provider. I think many companies, you know, aspire that and then obviously... We Everyone wants to in, be end-to-end, isn't it? Everybody <laughs> wants to be the all-in to do, isn't Correct. it? It is sexy, but it is, is it good for the numbers? That's a question. Uh, yes, so we, we got to manage it uh, in the sense that, you know, overnight we can't say, hey, let's start, uh, you know, offices all over the world because it will not make economic sense, right? So even our international expansion has been a gradual process, actually. And we, we target the market. So like in our case, we thought, okay, let's start with the emerging uh, economies. Mm. And what better place to start than uh, Southeast Asia where, you know, the, the economies are, are coming up. A lot of the countries, uh, as you know, over the last you know, 10 to 15 years, countries like Vietnam, uh, Philippines, Indonesia, they they have progressed tremendously. And we're going to talk about that regional footprint very shortly. Let me just help translate that strategy that you've been talking about into numbers. Of course, the pandemic must have had a big impact on your business, perhaps on a positive light. Uh, Just looking at the numbers, top line uh, really continued growing throughout the pandemic. 2022, post-pandemic, also very good numbers. Margins Mm. very much volatile, right? You see the margin compression taking place throughout the pandemic, but it didn't improve a bit this year. Tell me the story behind why is it top line has been growing, why is margins have been very volatile? Yes, yes. Uh, well, definitely the pandemic was, uh, uh, you know, an, an event that uh, actually impacted many industries. The logistic industry is not exempted from that as well. Many countries uh, experienced lockdown, even Malaysia, yeah, which is our home base. Uh, but through that period, uh, actually the, the demand, uh, the demand for logistic services, particularly, uh, you know, uh, exportation of goods, uh, that was actually growing, you know, because uh, there was delays and then our customers had to quickly ship their goods. And so there was really, if I can use the word, uh, kind of like a pent-up demand, right, Mm. over that period. However, uh, the volatility actually happened because of the disruption, both both, uh, here and uh, international as well, right, because of lockdowns and then ports were congested and that caused an issue with the supply and demand, right, in in terms of, for example, container space availability on shipping lines. And the freight rates actually uh, then became really volatile. Uh, It actually went up quite a lot, uh, especially over the period, I think, uh, you know, in in the late 2020s and 2021. I I mean, the freight rate shot up and it lasted uh, until uh, the early part of 2022. Uh, Right now, it's easing off a bit. So because of that volatility, freight rates went up. And when your freight rates go up, definitely for people like us, uh, where we don't operate the ships, we don't have the uh, so-called OPEX uh, to, yeah. to run the, the vessels. So for us, it's like, oh, you know, freight rates has gone up. And uh, obviously, we have to then negotiate to get a competitive uh, rate to offer to our customer. And that impacted 
obviously the margin, right? Because if the freight rates has increased, then uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the top up, so to speak, right? Uh, the uh, percentage obviously plays on the margin. So margins has been volatile, but I'm glad to say, as you quite rightly pointed out, there were opportunities. In fact, our performance has been uh, pretty good over the last two uh, financial years. I just say the 2022 numbers really did have that hockey stick number that came through. But, you know, just moving forward to next year, do you expect 2023 to be very challenging? We are hearing so much about a weaker yes. economy going forward. You were talking about that pent-up demand. That pent-up demand cannot last forever. What's your right. prognosis for 2023 then? Okay, so if you look uh, in terms of the macro numbers, uh, especially w- WTO, they just uh, published their numbers uh, for 2023 in terms of growth in world trade. Uh, initially, it was, I think, 3.5% or something, but that has been revised to 1%. So obviously, I think globally, there will be challenges and people like us, we will never be able to be exempted from it. But on the micro level, I think uh, we we have to, you know, reposition ourselves uh, to be able to, uh, you know, go through this period of difficulty. So for us, I think it's uh, number one, we have to continue to realign, uh, you know, our cost uh, structure to be able to, uh, uh, you know, operate efficiently. Uh, we got to build up constantly, you know, good relationships with our vendors, our shipping mm-hmm. lines and mm-hmm. airlines so that we will get, you know, the space and the rates that, you know, we can negotiate and then, you know, offer that to our customers. I think the next thing is, um, okay, these are numbers, but it's true, you know, it's a fact that, uh, you know, if you talk about market share, I think, we are nowhere uh, in, in, the, in the sense of having a dominant market share. Nobody has that uh, at all. In fact, I think our numbers would be very much into the 0.0 something percent of the overall uh, containers that, uh, you know, in terms of TEUs uh, that moves in and out, you know, uh, of the region. We are we're just a, a very, very small player. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying there is there will be opportunities now if we focus, you know, to gain uh, organic growth. And obviously our overseas coverage as well. Uh, So we are just not uh, kind of uh, limited to, let's say, our home uh, market, which is Malaysia. There'll be opportunities for us to, you know, grow into uh, in our overseas uh, offices as well. Uncertainty and turbulence is going to mark 2023. It's going to mark a lot of the performance for FM Global Logistics. Marrying that with your financing, if you look at your, you know, balance sheet, you have really been building up your debt. You've doubled your long-term borrowings, boosted your net debt from 12.9% in middle of last year to nearly 25.6% high interest rate environment. Do you have any regrets? Um, No. In in fact, uh, uh, probably just to emphasize on our net gearing, actually it is still, uh, I think it is about 0.1 something percent. So I think we are still in a relatively healthy position uh, if you look, you know, in terms of the net gearing numbers. Because most of our borrowings, uh, if any, uh, will be, you know, to build up our, our, our trucks, you know, purchase of trucks and and uh, our warehousing facilities. Uh, That one, I think there's no regrets there because we are still, for example, uh, in our warehousing activity, we are still renting almost 40% of of the space, the total space that we have. So uh, by realigning that, uh, you know, having our own property to to build it to specification, 
to be able to maximize uh, and gain economies of scale, I think uh, we are still on the right track uh, in terms of our investment. The question then is, clearly you have marked out clear plans to expand. You're going to basically build up your asset base for sure going moving forward. Dividend then is the big question mark. The big question yes. and concern we have is its volatility. It has been delivering very good yield in the past yes. year. But the biggest Correct. central worry that many people have with FM Global Logistics is that the volatility of your dividend yield moving forward. How do you address those concerns? Okay, if you look at our track record, I think that's the best way to look at it. Uh, from, from the time we we were listed in 2005, we have constantly you know, been paying out dividends. So that is a priority uh, in terms of the desire of the board of directors uh, to reward the shareholders. Now, there were years uh, where we actually did not do so well. Actually, just looking back, uh, the numbers around 2017, 2018, we were impacted uh, by one of our associate, a subsidiary then turned associate, that were losing uh, you know, big amount of <laughs> money. And even through that time, we prioritize uh, paying out dividend because we feel that you know loyalty to our shareholders uh, will, will carry us forward in terms of support and everything. So, but, but, yeah, your, I think, but your stock yeah. is not for the faint hunted, isn't it? The roller, dividend yield is like a roller coaster. Well, dividend yield, again, is a percentage of uh, the, the share price. And that is something that we can never control, right? Because, uh, you know, what how the market performs is something that is beyond our control. Uh, what we can do is to ensure that the company performs well. Uh, so in that sense, uh, we strive to continue to deliver on our results. And if our results are, are there, then definitely the dividend will follow. But in terms of the yield, uh, based on the percentage on the share price, yeah, that one uh, really is something that's beyond our control. Yeah. On the Breakfast Grill, I'm in conversation with Chu Chong Kiat, Managing Director of FM Global Logistics Holdings Berhad. Up next, Trade Wars, Boon or Bane for FMGL. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to the BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. Welcome back. On the Breakfast Grill, we have with us Chu Chong Kat, Group Managing Director of FM Global Logistics Holdings Berhad. And he's in a hot seat as we discuss their global footprint expansion. Chong Kat, I think the question everyone is asking is, US-China trade wars, good or bad for the business? Well, obviously, you know, these are events that are definitely beyond the control, you know, of uh, all of us, uh, everyone in, in, in business, uh, we are looking towards, you know, the big economies. And obviously with uh, China and US uh, having that kind of, you know, disagreements, uh, I, I don't know, it may entail, you know, some difficulties moving ahead. However, saying that again, despite of the trade wars, I believe that, although I must admit, I don't have the numbers, but I think, uh, you know, trade is still going on uh, uh, pretty strong. So sometimes, you know, on the political front, you may see like, you know, a big disagreements, but actually uh, trade is still uh, moving between the countries. It's very evident from your numbers that you are yeah. seem you seem to be benefiting from this tension and conflict. And I think also Malaysia seems to be benefiting from it because with this adoption of China plus one, it seems that many multinationals are considering Malaysia as an alternative. Uh, not just Malaysia, I think, uh, because there were some uh, big uh, multinational uh, companies that has moved, for example, to Vietnam. And Thailand, yeah, Malaysia is also a recipient. So in that sense, yes, uh, there is uh, foreseeable benefits for us. But nevertheless, I, you know, as all businessmen, we hope that you know this kind of uh, trade wars will not prolong because it is definitely potentially damaging to the global economy. I mean, Malaysia is in a very unique position. It's very uniquely positioned to you know be a very strong global logistics hub, if, if not at least regional. Uh, and I understand that the government has put a lot of effort to in 
incentivize and drive people to put investments here. And in your case as well for FM Global, you did also receive an incentive package in 2017, although it was updated with revised conditions in 2021 with an approval requiring you to invest about $245 in CapEx to be deployed over a five-year period. The question is, why did they have to update this? Why could you not invest it in 2017 then? Okay, uh, when we got the incentive in 2017, it was pretty specific that the investment has to be on, uh, you know, uh, to to deal with uh, online uh, kind of uh, e-business. E-commerce. E-commerce, yes. So uh, we appealed, right, because uh, yes, e-commerce is a part of our business, but it is not uh, the major portion of our business. In fact, I would say it is pretty small in terms of, you know, our last mile activity, uh, although we have the full license and everything, and for obvious reasons, uh, it's a very challenging business, the uh, e-commerce. So our focus, you know, is in the traditional brick and mortar, you can call it that, uh, in terms of uh, C-freight and F-freight. B2B. And, yeah, B2B, yeah. Mm. So so that's why we appeal to MIDA to allow us uh, to have that capex, you know, on our B2B activities, including e-commerce. So that was granted, yeah. Tell me the details of this 245 million capex then now, which is very much shifted towards a hybrid of B2B and B2C e-commerce. How have the plans shifted and changed since then? Okay, so it is still an ongoing process uh, because uh, first uh, we have to attain that capex, uh, which uh, 60% of it can be used uh, then to, to uh, bring us a, a better uh, uh, you know, taxable rate. Uh, so that is the incentive that's been given. Uh, but for now, we are still planning out our capex. In fact, I think earlier in the program, you did mention about, you know, with the regime of high interest rates, uh, are, are you looking, you know, towards uh, rationalizing your payback? So in our case, we are studying uh, to be able uh, to achieve, you know, that number to make sure that it is a productive uh, effort, right? I mean, we, we can spend the payback, but if the business is not productive, it's not yielding results, then I think it, it may turn out negative for us. So that's the process we are undergoing now. You decided in 2017 that e-commerce was a yielding productive business. You then decided three years later that it wasn't, which is fair point, yeah. right, as the markets yeah. evolve change. E-commerce right. players come and go. You see a profusion of players coming through, all now facing significant margin compression going through. Do you expect blood on the dance floor then? <laughs> That's a very good question. And that's why we tread with caution with e-commerce. So when we uh, started our last mile activity, uh, we actually focus more on uh, e-commerce deliveries, but we focus more on the uh, B2B aspects. For example, you know, customers who require us uh, to deliver to their stores and to their specific customers. So we we enter more into that direction and not going for the mass market. The mass market, I I think, refers to the marketplace. And that's where I I believe, you know, that the the rates uh, for deliveries uh, does not commensurate, uh, you know, with with the cost incurred. And that's why I think there is so much uh, uh, losses, I would say, you know. How much do rates need to go up to to be able to commensurate that cost? When you see rates going through now in the market, right? How much yeah. discounted are they or unrealistic they are? Are they like 5-10% lower or are they like 30-50% lower? Then I what is realistic? All, yeah, right now I think it is more like a, a negotiation uh, between uh, the vendors, you know, with, with the customers. So I think uh, if you talk about the mass market, uh, I think the rates would definitely need a 30-40% mm. uh, upward trend, you know, before I think we, we can actually see the light of day. But saying that again, all right, I think to be fair, because I, I'm not in a good position to comment because it's not really our major part of our business. Uh, but I must say that there are uh, currently 
some uh, last mile players uh, that have turned around. Mm. Yeah, even with this rates regime, you know. So again, I think in in a market that will always be shifting. So when you mention about, about you know, are you going to see blood on the floor? Well, I I don't know, but there are some uh, that that has so called uh, delivered good numbers, whereas others are still losing in big amount. So interesting. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting. And if, if we yeah. pivot to your side, as you focus on the B two B side, as you go to your right. classic brick and mortar piece. I know your expansion plan. Very interesting roadmap you want to do. You've invested a lot in the US. You've actually bought three US freight forwarders for some total about 9.2 million ringgit. Whereas you've also said, look, ASEAN is very exciting and sexy, but you're not interested in the likes of Myanmar and Cambodia. Help me understand the differences and nuances between deciding, okay, look, I'm going to put money in the US, but not in these emerging Southeast Asian economies like Myanmar and Cambodia. Okay, uh, maybe to clarify that, it's not that we are not interested. (laughs) But you know, uh, Myanmar, we we you know we almost uh, went into that market, but thankfully held back a little bit because right now it's very challenging because of the political instability. And with Cambodia, it's the same thing. Uh, Cambodia is a relatively small country in terms of population, you know, as compared to the rest of Southeast Asia. Uh, and Cambodia is a, a market that we are constantly looking at because. Uh, actually, a lot of uh, cargoes, uh, when they are exported out from Cambodia, a lot of it actually shifts to through Ho Chi Minh City, through Saigon. So uh, it is an interesting market and we will keep it uh, in view uh, in terms of expanding that. Now, USA, yeah, you are, you are absolutely right. Why you're going to, into such a mature market uh, when there is opportunities here? Uh, that actually uh, res- it, it resulted uh, because of uh, our current situation with our US, uh, should I say, uh, agents or partners. Uh, because one of our agents there, uh, which was a very big company, uh, they were bought over, they were acquired. So it actually created a vacuum for not only uh, FM Global Logistics here in Malaysia, but all our offices as well. Because, hey, who can ignore trade between uh, their country, their respective country? And USA is a big trade, you know. Uh, for example, Philippines. Uh, my Philippine office say, hey, that is really the major kind of a trading country, right? So because of that, of that vacuum, then we had to look for uh, solutions. And uh, thankfully, we were able not only to acquire a, you know, a reasonably priced uh, acquisition, but a, a pretty good company based out of uh, LA. Uh, and we were able to buy a, a company that you know is positive in terms of uh, performance, which means that we could... Uh, you know, <laughs> consolidate the profit into our books. That's number one. And number two, we can use that as a kind of like a base, right? A springboard for our, you know, probably expansion into, you know, the other cities as well. So it was more out of a vacuum. It wasn't really a, a desire for us to like, hey, let's go into the US, but it, it, it is born out of necessity. Junkiet, thanks for all the time you have for us today on The Breakfast Grill. Chu Chongkiet. Group Managing Director of FM Global Logistics Holdings, Berhad. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile, where unlimited potential begins. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.